Lights, camera, action. When a script is written that is so bad, no one will film it. These brave podcasters will bring it to life just so they can mock it. This is Table Reads. So the movie's kaput, which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. Table Reads with Sean McBee and Joshua Baker. Welcome back to Table Reads, everyone. I'm Sean McBee. Over there's a Joshua Baker. Here I am. And over there's a Jeff Lewis. I'm back. He's back. He doesn't know why. <laughs> he just keeps showing up. He thought this would never happen. The bus keeps stopping here. I don't know. <laughs> so we are reading uh, our third episode of John August's Preacher Script from, what did we say, 2005? 2000. 2010. 2010. Yes. And guys, it's good. It's really good. We're now 79 episodes into this show, and this is the second good script we've come across. Oh, man. Good good timing, Jeff. Yeah, right? I was like, Josh was like, yeah, we kind of read bad scripts here. It's going to be fun. We'll just poke around. And yeah, you, mostly you just lucked being out, quiet. Man. Yeah, well, not for Jeff. Jeff's thing is like talking shit about bad stuff. So he's like, <laughs> I'm out of my wheelhouse with We're sitting things. in the car outside the studio, and we're like, he's like, man, this is totally not my wheelhouse. This stuff's so good. I don't got nothing to bitch about. <laughs> You know, it's it's outside my wheelhouse too. I'm I'm just not used to quality things. I worked on the show Dynasty, the original run, or the, no, no, the, no, the new one. How old do you think I am? You piece of shit! You're really good at graphic. I thought maybe you had like a mask on. So, like, so my mom loved that show, the she, original Dynasty. No, the new one. The new one. Yeah, she your tried, mom has garbage. Taste. She tried. Yeah, well, oh. that's true. She has garbage taste in television shows and men and sons. Besides the point. <laughs> Son of a bitch over here. <laughs> so, uh, Preacher's real good, but I got more to say about it than that. Let us get caught up. Previously on Table Reads. So, we met Jesse Custer, a young man raised to be a preacher by a super creepy grandma and her murderous henchman. We followed him through his fucked up childhood and into his young adulthood where he met a badass girl named Tulip who he was forced to leave when his past caught up with him. After a mysterious light enters his body and toasts his entire congregation, he heads out of town and is reunited with Tulip and an Irish vampire she met along the way. When we left off, they had just had their first encounter with the Saint of Killers, an unstoppable force of murder who is after Jesse for reasons yet unknown. Jesse and Tulip escape, and Cassidy sets, up, sets off to catch up to them, accompanied by the young man known only as Arseface. Fade in. Flashes. A teenage boy in camouflage poses with two guns, gangsta style. Jody looks in a dirty hallway mirror, determined. Jesse holds up his bloody hand, squinting at the sun. Title over, three, Sons of Texas. Fade in, exterior, the Great Plains, day. Yeah. 
Nailed oh, it. That's nice. On the plains, yeah. Oh. In a shot as wild as the west as wide as the west itself, we see the endless prairie divided by a single track of railroad. I thought he was going to give another jab at my mom. <laughs> <laughs> And the shot is as wide as Josh's mom. <laughs> Love you. I mean, if her if her reputation gets all the way to John August, <laughs> that'd be real fucked up. That, yeah, no, that's that's pretty. He's just up. taking pot shots at you <laughs> and your mom. Um, does. We see the endless prairie divided by a single track of railroad. Beside it, two men climb off their horses, close on the rail. Jesse puts his ear to iron, listening for the train. I can hear it. It's coming. Can't tell from where. Tracks only go two ways. The cowboy stands beside him, points along the rails to the east and west. Wait a second. So his imaginary John Wayne has his own horse? I mad maybe he I mean if he's imaginary he could just manifest a horse. I guess he, he has an imaginary around. horse. That what's he gonna just do? Like imaginary tracks. walk it's everywhere? Just like <laughs> it's he's gonna imaginary mosey everywhere, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Get it right. Jesse's imagination's just super limited. He's like, ah, he's on a horse. I can't I can't deal with this. <laughs> he's never really seen horses. So he's like he's in a car. <laughs> he drives up in a pickup truck. Stop bitching. A, it's it's a Mustang though. <laughs> oh the plot thickens. He just goes, and it runs up to him. The cowboy stands beside him, points along the rails to the east and the west. Where you come from, and where you going? Jesse stands, looking east, marveling at Sean's terrible John Wayne impersonation. Where the rails disappear at the horizon, we can just make out a farm. I'm never going back there. He turns to face the cowboy. Why would I? Because if you're not careful, the past can sneak up on you. The cowboy nods his head. Jesse looks back to see a locomotive <gasps> bearing down on him. Completely inappropriate music. No, that's perfect. Uh, uh, it's a jazz train. The whistle and engine are deafening. As it hits him, cut to interior exterior pickup truck day. Jesse wakens with a jolt, disoriented. Just beyond a thin patch of trees, a freight train roars past. Only when the clack, clack, clack of the last car fades does Jesse realize he's not dreaming anymore. He's sitting in the passenger seat. By the kink in his neck, he's evidently been asleep for hours. He opens the door to find Tulip sitting against the truck, finding some shade while she reads well-worn Louis L'Amour paperback. You okay? Yeah. She stands up, hands him a water bottle. He didn't realize how thirsty he was. Where are we? About five miles out of St. Anne's. Figured it was better to get off the roads. The guy you were with. Cassidy. He went his own way. He punched through a wall. Yeah. She's not exactly sure how to explain it. Whether to explain it. Are you and him... Were you... God, no. But he saved my life. I'd be dead without him. And I like him already. She fixes his hair, kisses him. He stops her. I can't. Something's got, got in me. Something bad. 
I saw. I was there. I need to know what it is. The place I grew up, the people there, they did this. What do you mean? They put me in that church like they knew what was going to happen. There's answers. They'll have them. Let's go ask. You know what that reminds me of? My favorite moment in Lethal Weapon 4? Jet Li. I know. I have a favorite moment in Lethal (laughs) Weapon 4. It's weird. (laughs) But Jet Li kicks the shit out of uh, Riggs and Murtaugh. And they're hobbling away, supporting each other. Like We're getting too old for this shit. And then uh, Riggs goes, one thing though. You see the way he definitely took my gun apart with that with one hand? I mean, how'd he do that, right? And Murtaugh goes, All right, let's go ask him. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. That it was the best part of that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this has been my lethal weapon aside for this episode of podcast Dude, you absolutely need a bumper for like your your uh, comparisons to other movies like let people know like boom yes please do that josh Sorry. thank you it's a microphone it points <laughs> at your mouth you need to be like right up on it too bro oh yeah like get up all in it yeah i got a personal space thing okay my go well, um a beautiful woman normally uses that microphone if that helps yeah so it's, you got the best microphone, actually. <laughs> What's everybody doing? Just smell it. <laughs> it's a good thing Kelly doesn't bother listening to this show. Everybody's happy for my third and final episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm escorted from the house. <laughs> Taking pop filters. <laughs> uh, uh. Oh. Where the fuck was I? Uh, oh, yeah. Then let's go ask. Yeah. It's not safe. Then you're going to need me. I'm a damn good shot. So where are we headed? Jesse knows he'll never win this argument. East. Salvation. It's a long drive. Saddle up. I feel like I do a pretty good Ruth Negan It's actually really good. It's good. Thanks. Yeah. It's flawless. The, the accent kind of comes and goes. Like with what she's saying, how serious she's going. I think you're crushing it right Once now. you see Preacher, man. Like, uh, so since the first two episodes, since we... Put those in a can. Yeah. I went and watched the first season and a few episodes of the second season. And man, it is. Sean sold me on it. You guys watch that shit. I actively <laughs> tried to not watch it because I kind of want to be that third guy that y'all get to bounce the stuff off of where I'm like, is this part of this? Like y'all are my Sherpas. Now that's usually, that's usually my role. You can take that role now. I did it. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I chose a piece of media. Oh, traveling music. Some good traveling music lets us begin a series of scenes taking across half of taking us across half of Texas. Interior pickup, exterior Texas highway. Day. Just this is not good traveling music. I don't know that I have any good traveling music. Go back to the sexy. Here we go. Bonanza. This is our good traveling music. Oh, this one's called a ride through the forest. No, that's terrible. That's some final boss music. Here we go. This is our traveling music. We're traveling through the sting, apparently. I really have to watch this show. (laughs) (laughs) Jesse is at the wheel. It feels good to be back in the driver's seat, even if he's not quite sure where this road is taking him. 
Music continues. Exterior, motel, day. Coroners load bodies into bags. It's hot. This is the perfect music for that. This is some <laughs> this is some body loading music right here. What wacky Morrison <laughs> body loading music? <laughs> this is like Preacher's Wooly World, you know, <laughs> like a Yoshi spinoff. <laughs> it's hot and dusty. The flies are starting to become a nuisance. We catch up with a new FBI division chief as he walks with a forensic tech toward the motel office. You have 18 bodies and not one bullet. You know what? No, I want you to be the forensic tech. Because... Does, does he die? Uh, that, that, that's kind of my thing. Probably. <laughs> Perfect. I mean... Okay. You have 18 bodies and not one bullet. People heard gunfire. Not from your guys. Their guns were loaded. Not one round fired. Interior. Motel office. Day. As the chief enters, another officer flags him. Chief, we got a new guy. Doesn't match any victim or survivor. Chief steps around to see the surveillance camera footage. On the monitor, we see Cassidy from when he checked in. He grits his teeth, annoyed by the desk clerk. Add him to the list. Cut two, a still of Cassidy, is added to a bulletin board with shots of Jesse and Tulip. What is this music? Why is this music? It continues. <gasps> he went off script. <laughs> music continues. <laughs> Exterior, Country Road, Day. Sheriff Roots SUV heads south. Interior, Sheriff Roots SUV slash Country Road, Day. Arseface is at the wheel, trying to figure out where he is on a fold-out map. Looking over the seat... We see a blanket. Wait, did Sheriff Root die in the last episode? Yeah, he got like sniped and his head exploded and stuff like oh, that. Oh, man. It's too bad he didn't die the same way he did in the comics. Which was? Jesse used the voice on him and told him to go fuck himself. And he did. Did his head still explode? How far did they deviate? His head did not explode. Shit. He just ripped off his own penis and shoved it inside himself. Oh, no. That didn't kill him. He killed himself. Because he had ripped off his dick and shoved it inside himself. Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing. <laughs> I'm just laying, laying the groundwork for how bizarre the source material is. I'm digging that. Is that in the show? Like, is that like a censored, like, tasteful scene? Bad things happen in the show, uh, but I haven't seen a penis being ripped off. Um, no, no, no. Well, I take that back. See. I take that back. There is a penis removal. Ooh. You don't see the ominous. You don't see the dick fall off, but like the show's great, is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, no, it's good. It's it's really good. A lot of dick chopping going on. Highly recommended. That's like the 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 whole point of an entire episode. I mean, it's it's got a really great rotten dicks rating. Oh my god, that's how I start doing my Yelp reviews. I'm like, no dicks for chop. <laughs> Pass on this one. <laughs> Two out of three rotten dicks. <laughs> Wouldn't do it again. This one has a fresh dick rating. Ars <laughs> <laughs> uh, faces at the wheel, trying to figure out where he is on a fold-out map. Looking over the seat, we see a blanket-covered lump lying in back. A pale hand pokes out, slipping into a shaft of filtered sunlight. It starts to smolder. Cassidy grunts and pulls mm. his hand hand back under the blanket. 
music concludes as we transition to exterior highway day tulip's pickup truck pulls off into a small gas station and convenience store exterior highway gas station day jesse pulls his hat low heading into the store interior gas station bathroom day jesse washes his hands runs some water through his hair looks at himself in the scratched mirror the door swings open behind him. A burly man in a bolo tie enters, catches Jesse's eye in the mirror. A beat. Excuse me? Jesse tenses, certain he's been identified. Gotta wash my hooks. He means his hands. Jesse steps aside, letting him use the sink. Exterior, highway gas station, day. Tulip finishes... <laughs> I need to wash my hooks? Gotta wash my hood. Who talks like that? The guy in the racetrack on the way here. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Can Tulip. I have two Slurpees? Oh, got enough hooks for that. <laughs> Tulip finishes putting gas in the truck. We hear a wind chime. Nothing particularly distinct over the road noise. Excuse me, miss. Tulip looks up to see DeBlanc. He's wearing the same vintage suit and fedora we saw earlier when he met young Jesse. He hasn't aged. He approaches. Are you good with directions? Sorry. Not from around here. Of course not. You're from Bar Harbor. Your father Jake was a hunter, taught you how to shoot. Tulip tenses. Takes a quick look around. They're evidently alone. No police. No SWAT team. She mentally calculates how fast she could get her gun. What do you want? It is imperative that Jesse Custer live. I'll make sure that happens. Then you are good with directions. Keep Jesse Custer out of sight and away from danger. Keep him quiet and calm. Why are you telling me this? Why not Jesse? Because Jesse Custer does not trust authority. Because he trusts you. That is by design. DeBlanc turns and starts to walk away. Uh-uh. You don't get to say cryptic shit and walk away. What a character trait. <laughs> DeBlanc doesn't stop. She pursues him, grabbing his shoulder. Her hand goes right through him, leaving a trail of tiny points of light. The fireflies we've seen. He's not physically there, but rather some kind of projection. She takes a step back, reeling. The night you met Jesse Custard, you got a phone call to meet your friend at a bar. But later, she never... But later, she said she never called you. So who did you speak with on the phone, Miss O'Hare? Why did you decide to come to Texas in the first place? You are here because we led you here. Just as we brought you to the Irishman, we all serve a greater plan. We must protect Jesse Custer. Protect him from what? Temptation. Arrogance. He cannot control these powers. If he were to be corrupted. A voice from behind Tulip. Good news. They had your chips. Tulip turns to see Jesse walking back from the store with a bag of junk food. Barbecue with ridges, right? Ridges are the most delicious part of the chip. Tulip turns back to DeBlanc. He's still there, though Jesse doesn't seem to he see or hear him. Right. If you tell him of this conversation, he won't trust you. 
He must trust you. Unsure why she's hesitating. You want me to drive? No. No, I'm good. A wider shot reveals DeBlanc has disappeared. Transition to interior truck, exterior highway, day, driving. Tulip has the wheel, grateful for the distraction of driving. Jesse smudges the orange barbecue seasoning on his fingertips. What if I'm evil? What if this thing inside me is the devil? Or the Antichrist? You're not the Antichrist. But would you know if you were? I mean, what if what if we're put here to destroy the world? Wouldn't they want you to think you're saving it? Who is they? I don't know. The worst guys in history. The tyrants, the dictators. They all thought they were good guys. I mean, fuck. Hitler. You're not Hitler. You're Jesse Custer. You're a cowboy. I'm a preacher. I was a preacher before I met you. And I was a preacher when this happened. I killed a hundred people in a church. Something did. That wasn't you. How can you be so sure? Because I know you. You don't. Not really. Tulip breaks hard, pulling over to the side of the highway. Jesse's not sure what he said to set her off, but she's visibly furious. She takes a beat to consider what to say. She almost says everything. You still think this is the Jesse Custer story? It's not. It's not all about you. I'm part of it. I've been part of it since the day we met. So you don't get to shove me to the side. I'm not trying to. I'm talking. I've put up with all of your evasions and non-answers about your past because that's yours. But you don't get to cut me out now. <clears throat> but you don't get to cut me out of now. You don't get to decide what's best for me. I'm here because I want to be. Because whatever's happening to you, I'm going to fix it or I'm going to die trying. These are my terms. So you can either accept them or you can get the fuck out of my truck. A long beat. I accept your proposal. Thank you. With a half smile, Tulip pulls back onto the highway. A series of glances and small movements. They're both stirred up and, frankly, horny. <laughs> Finally. Do you want to... We should get there, though, right? Right. Another smile. Their resolve may not last. Another... Uh, interior, sheriff's SUV, exterior, fast food parking lot, day. Arseface hands a bag of food back to Cassidy, who pulls it beneath his blanket. You tell him I'm a blooditarian. Under the blanket, Cassidy inspects one of his hamburgers. It's not what he wanted, but fuck it, he's hungry. Intercut, Arseface. He got himself a chocolate shake. Given his deformities, he's a messy eater. Yeah? Where we going? To find Tulip. We gotta get her before the Saint of Killers does. I know a guy who's got a guy. Magic man. Could find a Tic Tac in an avalanche. We get to him, he can take us right to her. So you go home? Tulip? Nah, she's... Nah. He stops to really think about it. Why is he doing this exactly? Arshface, you ever played Donkey Kong? Sure. I got a thing about the princess. Exterior. 
Pizza Place on Canal Street, New York, night, 1981. Cassidy, the same age but even more punk rock, eyes a stand-up Donkey Kong arcade game with contempt, which becomes reluctant curiosity. He drops a quarter in, starts playing. So you're this plumber, right? And she's a princess. They don't belong together. She should have a prince. And she should have, what, like a washerwoman or something? But then this ape comes and takes her. And he's got to save her. This is a voiceover, by the way. In a series of shots, we see Cassidy playing the game all night for three weeks. He scares off kids who want to play. He's going to finish this. He'll die a hundred times. A thousand times. Doesn't matter. Wait, wait. Let me correct you on that. It's thousand. It's thousand Thousand. for sure, yeah. He'll die a hundred times. A thousand times. Doesn't matter. He's got a mission. He finally fucking feels something. And it should be fucking. Fucking. He finally fucking feels something. There you go. Oh, I can smell the blarney on that shit. (laughs) Hey, lucky charms. On the arcade screen, a pink heart swells as Mario finally reaches the princess. Cassidy wipes away tears. Back to interior, sheriff's SUV, exterior, fast food parking lot, day. So that's why I got a saver. What more hope? That's right. We're Butch Cassidy and the Arseface Kid. You lost your Irish completely. That's fucking, it's hard. <laughs> I haven't practiced this one. <laughs> No, I mean, it was great up until... That's right. We're Butch Cassidy and the Arseface Kid. Arseface starts up the car. Just gotta hope Tulip and the Preacher are keeping out of trouble until we get there. Exterior road slash edge of swamp. Day. Parts beneath a tree. Buzz... Hey! Are you are you still here, Jeff? Oh, oh I'm, I'm your active audience right now. I'm just... <laughs> participatory in every single way I, I that just, I can be. I just remembered you were here and thought I'd check in, make sure you're okay. Dude, I am I am fantastic. I was actually uh, making some headcanon for the truck conversation they were having uh, in which he was smudging um, barbecues between his fingers. Okay, so we're moving on. <laughs> I was just saying it reminded me of True Detective a lot with Russ Cole over there, but with uh, but with orange dust instead. Now all this orange dust. We're all just dust. So that's what this end of the table's up to. Uh, Oh yeah, uh, parked beneath a tree buzzing with insect life, Tulip unlocks a gun box in the back of the truck. Jesse, unbuttoning his shirt, is surprised by the arsenal she's carrying. Some guys would be intimidated by this. She picks a gun for him, demonstrates... Clip. Safety. I point the hole at the thing I want to die, right? She shuts the case. You sure about this? No. Honesty is why you love me. Exterior swamp. Day. Jesse leads Tulip down the twisting paths. It's the same area seen earlier in the story when young Jesse was hiding from TC and Jody. The birds and insects feel particularly oppressive. Tulip pushes back her sweaty hair as Jesse stops for a moment, evidently trying to remember which fork will take him to the farm. He looks at the bark of one tree, expecting to find something. He has to look higher. The tree has grown. Finds initials. JC. You were a little tagger. 
Those are my father's initials, John Custer. I cut it after they killed him. He doesn't have a tombstone or anything. A beat. Tulip checks his eyes. You're serious. You never went to the police? Never came back to- I never came back. I swore I wouldn't. Now, I'm here. He keeps walking. Tulip gives him a little space, staying back a bit. Exterior, the farm, day. That's better. Jesse and Tulip come upon the farm from... Bleh. Sorry. Jesse and Tulip come upon the farm from the edge of the swamp. Everything is in considerably worse shape than when we left it. Rusted metal, broken fences, and weeds choking the fields. The swamp seems determined to take it back, and no one's fighting. Jesse and Tulip make their way across the yard to the barn, where one of the walls has started to collapse. Peering inside. Interior. Barn. Day. Jesse spots a familiar pickup. Someone's here. That's Jody's truck. A pop and a whistle. Jesse's eyes go wide. He screams in pain. (laughs) Jesse grabs at his back where a tranquilizer dart sticks beneath his shoulder blade. Tulip pulls it out, but it's already delivered its dose. A second dart hits Jesse in the leg. He collapses, writhing. Move! Move! She half-drags Jesse behind a broken fence, though she's not sure where the darts are coming from. Jesse pulls the second dart out himself. A bloom of blood on his jeans. He's already pale, eyes glassy. A third dart hits the hay bale. Tulip spots where they're coming from, a second-story window of the farmhouse. She returns fire. Can you walk? Jesse nods, though he's not convinced he can. Interior, farmhouse bedroom, day. Jody ducks down, reloading darts into the air rifle. Bullets shatter the upper window. He tries to retake the his perch, but Tulip is right on him. True to her word, she's a damn good shot. Exterior, farm, day. Jesse's POV. Everything is intense and blurry, both too fast and too slow. Each of Tulip's gunshots booms like a cannon, close on his lips. He's trying to speak, to use the word, but nothing will come out. Two... Tulip fires three more shots, driving Jody back from the window. She uses the brake to lead Jesse to better cover. He has to move on all fours, dizzy. Tulip takes Jesse's gun, shooting it empty before popping and reloading both clips. Jesse spots something moving behind Tulip, tries to warn her, but no words will come. He can barely lift his hand. It's TC. He has a strange-looking plastic gun. It fires silently. Wired spikes shoot into Tulip's back. She screams and spasms it as electricity hits her. She instinctively fires but can't aim. After the first jolt, TC keeps pulling the trigger, watching her convulse. Jesse can only watch as TC takes her guns away, uses one to clock Jesse, knocking him out. Cut to black. 
Table Reads will return after this brief word from our sponsors. What's up, Docs and Docettes? Trevor Thompson, the self-appointed Looney Tunes critic here, and if you like old cartoons and watching online reviewers dissect them, then you probably said the same thing I did about two years ago. Hey, what the fuck? Here, watch your language, you bud. We're on the air. No, I said, why the heck isn't there a Looney Tunes critic? I mean, nobody's devoted strictly to Looney Tunes Mary Melodies, and whenever people do review that stuff, half the time they get it wrong. And they're all millennials, too, so everything before 1985 is racist. Ugh. Well, I'm the guy you want anyway. Every Saturday morning, I do a brand new commentary of a Warner Brothers short. All throughout the month, I do video essays examining the history of these cartoons. And every few months, I do a full-length review and or interviews with people who worked on Looney Tunes projects. Catch my videos on YouTube.com slash Ferris Wheelhouse 2, or just use the hashtag Looney Tunes Critic. And now, here's Eric Bauza, the new voice of Bugs Bunny, to bring this commercial home. You've been listening to Trevor Thompson, the self-appointed Looney Tunes Critic. Ain't he a stinker? Lights, camera, action. So the movie's kaput, which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. Now, back to Table Reads. So what are you guys thinking so far this episode? Not you, you, you've got nothing to say. Like well, all episode, pretty much. Yeah, why would I chime in now? Y'all tell me what you think about the episode you're reading to me. <laughs> Fully immersive. <laughs> it's like a listener to an audible book. Right, right. I mean, we're just you're just here for the racism. That's that's really my my wheelhouse. That's my niche work. <laughs> <laughs> I do that, and I do spoiler alerts for characters who die. Like, I feel like you've pre-read it, and you're like, hey, the guest. He does the disposable characters in case he doesn't show up. So it's like a I spoiler. don't know why you're not wearing a red shirt. That's right. <laughs> I just red shirted everybody. In this. <laughs> but for instance, guy died after one quote. <laughs> Did he? Well, I mean, he only he, had a line, but like, okay, anymore. all right. I, was, I didn't think he died. Like, I must have missed that. <laughs> We're getting through this pretty fast too. We are on page seventy-one of the script. On. Only halfway through episode three. We don't got a lot of shit to talk. There's not a lot of interruption, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. When, I when mean, we're really mocking at scripts, then that's where all that comes in. And right. it, we've taken as many as eight episodes to get through a two-hour script. We could, <laughs> you know, I mean, we could we could like try to take it apart more if you want. Like, oh, wow, that's not good. Or like, but Except I don't know. Except it's like, wonderful. Yeah. It's I so mean, good. Yeah. It follows. The shots are good. Like makes yeah. sense like um, the, the, yeah there's some there's some maybe character moments that you're like when they were arguing in the truck I didn't really read horny like it told you me would, the that they you, were so if you saw if you saw the characters that they or the actors that they picked for the show you sure. would totally see it it makes perfect sense I need y'all to really start reading it to me like this like I'm not I'm not feeling it maybe that's what it is like <laughs> y'all y'all like y'all are talking but I don't really feel like y'all are trying to like so we got to like touch on ourselves mm. and shit. A little oh, eye contact Sean. for the visual audience here mm. of one. That's it. <laughs> you so guys. Those are the looks I give my wife. And that's why we're not on TV. Everyone on Spotify. <laughs> this is a podcast. <laughs> for oh. your one visual viewer, I'd appreciate a little more pizzazz. Fade in. <laughs> Interior, farmhouse, porch, night. Marie sits in her wheelchair, smoking. She's unbelievably old, just bones and skin. A plastic oxygen tube flares up the edges of her nostrils. 
She uses a long cigarette holder, perhaps believing it will make it safe to use the oxygen. Headlights sweep past. It's Tulip's pickup truck. Jody and TC climb up. Found it a half mile up. Good boys. Interior barn, night. The barn is lit by a single lantern. Jesse slowly comes to. He's sitting on the floor of the barn, both arms bound behind him to one of the main posts. He has a ball gag in his mouth to keep him from using the word. He hears Tulip's voice coming from behind him. How did you... Jesse tries to call out to her, but the most he can manage is a muffled grunt. <clears throat> he cranes his neck, trying to see her. His POV. She's tied to another post, facing away from him. He can't see who she's talking to. Jesse's family. I think he's here. He's hurt. Jesse grunts again. <clears throat> can't get her attention. It's a farm outside of Salvation. North, I think. Hurry. Suddenly, the barn door swings open. It's TC. He looks around, confused. Who was TC? Um, he was. was I, yeah, I believe you were. Oh, it was the... Who the, the fuck one. are you talking to? Reveal Tulip. She's clearly been beaten hard. Nobody. Myself. No, 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 no! TC leaves the barn. We stay behind with Jesse, who grows even more panicked for not knowing where he went. Listens. Jesse! Jesse, are you awake? Jesse scrapes his boots on the dirt as loud as he can. She hears him. Help's coming, alright, baby? Very faintly, we hear Marie and Jody talking in the yard. We can't make out what they say. Then footsteps, heavier. Jody appears at the door, headed for Tulip. Jesse strains futilely against his ropes. Jody cuts through her ropes, pulls her up. For the first time, Jesse can see her face, see that she's been hurt. TC wheels Marie through the door, anticipating her question. I was just talking to myself, I swear. I heard her say salvation. She was given directions how to get here. What did you tell her about us? To Jesse. Marie has to take mid... Oh, <clears throat> I gotta read it differently. Marie has to take mid-sentence pauses to catch her breath, so I'm gonna go back. Do it. What did you tell her about us? Nothing. I didn't ask. What kind of woman doesn't ask... About a man's family. A whore! A whore. If you'd asked, you'd know. We got rules here. You tell the truth, or you face consequences. Marie nods to Jody. He pulls his gun from the holster, aims it at her head. Jussie... Jesse? Jesse bucks so hard he nearly dislocates his shoulder, but he can't break free. So what's it gonna be? Who were you talking to? Tulip knows she's doomed either way. Jesse, I love you. I will always love you. Marie waves her hand. Jody fires. 
The bullet blows through Tulip's head. Blood sprays on the lantern. Jesse screams into the gap, bucking and kicking like an ox. Jody tosses Tulip's limp body on the floor. Cut to exterior dock slash swamp, day. Marie leans into frame, smiles. That whore can never make you happy, Jesse. Remember your lessons. Happiness comes through righteousness. And the righteous must suffer. Reverse to find Jesse. His hands are bound to his chest. The ball gag is still in his mouth. TC and Jody grab Jesse, lifting him into the coffin. No one's gonna find you, Jesse. You're safe with us. Jesse fights and kicks. There's no way he'll get free, but there's also no way they'll get him in. Jody leans on Jesse's chest, covering his mouth and nose with his giant hands. Jesse flails, desperate for a breath. He finally relents, going limp. Quick shots, the lid shuts, latches snap. Weighed down by cinder blocks, the coffin sinks into the murky water, two air tubes snaking up to the surface. Transition to engine noises, gravel. Huh? Hunter, we're here. Interior, Sheriff's SUV, exterior dirt road, dusk, driving. Cassidy pokes a hand out from under his blanket, trying to gauge the light. It's evidently close enough to night that he won't burst into flames. He sits up in the back seat, the blanket wrapped around him like a shawl. Keeps his eyes closed until he finds his sunglasses. Through the windshield, we can see at least 20 cars and trucks parked along the side of the road. Arseface slows way down so as not to hit the drunken bikers spilling over from a tailgater. Whoa, Boot Hill. It's where the Saint of Killers is buried. They pass a collection of dangerous-looking men walking along the side of the road. Everyone is headed one way. It's like a distant parking for a backwoods festival. As they pass, the SUV gets a noticeable reaction. It's not positive. Oh, done. The faithful. Killers and psychopaths, every one of them. But the saint up walking, this place is a mecca. What the wall? A front row seat to the end of the world. Ars face stops the truck. Up ahead, a burning car blocks the road. It's a state trooper vehicle. It's red and blues somehow still going. The body of the dead troopers are also aflame. Banging on the side of the SUV, the drunken bikers and dangerous men have caught up with them. Cassidy realizes. Ah, oh, fuck. They think we're pigs. Suddenly, a dozen men are grabbing one side of the SUV and lifting. With hardly any effort, they have the truck flipping over on its back. Arseface screams. Cassidy falls to the ceiling in a lump. Arseface dangles from his seatbelt. Steel toe boots smash the windows. Cassidy scrambles through the glass, glass, reaching a window. Hands grab him, pulling him out. Cassidy is strong enough to break their grip. He's not much of a fighter, though. Do I look like bacon? We killed Johnny Law and took his horse, got it? Fuck's sake. Think it through. Bear Mullen, 40, pushes through the crowd. 
That's not a nickname. By the look of him, someone in his family tree must be a grizzly. His voice is so deep, it has its own echo. Cassidy, you got some balls showing your face around here. Cassidy isn't surprised to see him. Isn't delighted either. Hell, I put my balls on your face, bear. Just easy with the tongue. I'm sensitive. You got a bounty, ten million dollars. It's a holiday. Besides, I got a bodyguard. Arse face finally climbs out of the flipped over SUV. This man's a gorgon, bastard son of Medusa herself. One look will turn you to stone. A beat. No one really reacts. Gorgon? Fuck! Doesn't anyone read anymore? Some shrugs as the group breaks apart. A bookish psychopath raises a hand. I got it. Kiss ass. Exterior. Trail to Boot Hill. Night. A line of torches lights a narrow path from the road into the low foothills. A dozen killers walk the trail, including the bookish psychopath, one clown, and a pair of tattooed twins, their faces covered with tribal designs. Arsefangs? Arsefangs? That's oh, like no. a Oh no! Oh no! That sounds like a Dick Tracy villain. What a truck ride that was. <laughs> Arsefangs! <laughs> Arseface hangs back, not sure he should be coming, but not wanting to wait at the road. Tries to make sure Cassidy's always in sight. Cassidy and Bear lead the pack. Last I heard, the Yakuza got you. Half true. This is the half they didn't get. So what woke up the saint from the big dirt nap? He's got quarry, a preacher. Lot of talk, this might be the big R. If it's the reckoning, what's a preacher's angle? Hell if I know, I'm just a gun. You got a coyote with you? Always. Who's your mark? Just a girl I need to find. They reach a gate. Whatever fence used to be connected has long since disintegrated, but this sad wooden portal remains. Three bodies lie at the edge of the gate. No visible wounds. They simply died at the spot. Bear and Cassidy step through without comment. The clown turns to Arseface, a gloved hand on his chest. Graveyard gate, killers only! Cassidy calls back to Arseface. He's right. I'll come back for you. I won't come. Look, if you ain't killed a man, you can't pass. Simple as that. The bookish psychopath tries to explain. Boot Hill lies in a shadow realm between the living and the dead. This gate is made from a hangman's tree. It, Arseface, pushes bookish psychopath inside and walks through unharmed. Cassidy is surprised and impressed. We stay with Arseface as he trudges along. Who is this? Pube. <laughs> I mean, pube, prelap. Uh, go ahead, you, you be pube. Uh, give He's me a the- teenage boy. Oh, give me the other one. Check it out. Cut to exterior porch. Morning. Flashback. A teenage boy, pube, poses with two guns crossed in front of his chest, gangsta style. His only friend, dickhead, <laughs> takes his picture with a digital camera. Let me see. Dickhead shows him the shot. Fucking A. That's the one they're going to use. It's awesome. Let me get you. You do the shotgun. Dickhead picks up a shotgun, smiles for the camera. It's not a class photo. You have to look badass. I'm trying. 
Think about McMurdy. Now think about his brains all over Katie Weaver. Pube takes the picture, but Dickhead is still not particularly badass. If anything, he's less confident than before. We gotta get going. Pube starts loading up a black duffel bag with two guns, some rope, several bike locks, and a lot of ammunition. Katie Weaver has Spanish first period. So? McMurdy has Jim. They wouldn't be in the same room. People are gonna be running all over the place, dickhead. That's why we gotta block the doors. Right. Pube adds two box cutters to the bag. What are those for? I was thinking, you know, whose movies you have to go... Well, sorry, let me start that all over. <clears throat> I was thinking, you know those movies where you have to do what the killer says? So, like, people are cutting off their fingers and shit? How awesome would that be? Yeah. Dickhead closes his eyes. I mean, you get guys cutting their balls off, girls gouging out their eyes. That's what it takes to be a legend. Dickhead raises the shotgun, braces, then pulls the trigger. The blast is enough to reduce pube to meat. Jump cut. Dickhead is shaking. He wipes away tears. He looks into his living room where a framed photo of his father, Sheriff Root, glares accusingly. Dickhead props the shotgun under his chin, sobs. Just as he pulls the trigger, he flinches. The blast catches only the front of his face. Cut to exterior, trail to Boot Hill, night. Arseface, a.k.a. Dickhead, he really traded up there, keeps walking. It's hard to read the expression on his deformed face. Reaching the top of a low rise, we look down into a shadow valley, shallow valley, where a bonfire is burning. At least 50 assassins and serial killers are gathered below. The whole event is like Burning Man for psychopaths. Who guides the knife? Oh, oh praise the saint. saint! Exterior, the bonfire, night. Bear is the unofficial reverend for this impromptu gathering. He has a bottle of whiskey in one hand. Who makes the bullet fly true? Oh, praise the saint. 1993, Manila. Take a contract to kill some local politico. End in a firefight. Six men on me and I'm out of bullets. So I say a prayer. Saint of killers, I say. Fill my clip and I will empty it in your name. I will steal life. I will extinguish hope. And I, will, and I feel a chill. Some nods in the crowd. The tattooed twins share a look remembering their own experience. The gun in my hand grows frosty, and I know my prayer has been heard. Cassidy spots a strange man at the edge of the crowd, hunched, cowering, as if afraid to approach the fire. Leans over to Arseface. Sit tight and look pretty, I gotta have a conversation. Arseface nods, nonchalant. Who answers the call to kill? All praise the saint! Cassidy makes his way to the squatting man. Coyote. With his grubby face and tattered clothes. He looks to be a standard issue crazy homeless guy. But there's something unsettling about his eyes. They're too big. Set too close on his face. Predatory. Bear says you're the man to see. I need to take a long walk. Coyote rubs his fingers together, indicating money. He then puts them to his mouth. Food. Cassidy knows what he wants. You see the kid with a sour face? Points to Ars' face. Give me the walk, and you can have him. Coyote looks at Ars' face, considers, then nods. Half stands as he turns, leading Cassidy off into the night. 
Exterior, foothills, night. Celebratory gunshots ring throughout the canyon as we come upon Cassidy and Coyote. We can see the bonfire far in the distance. Coyote smears ash on Cassidy's eyelids. I see her in my head, right? That's how you find her. Not acknowledging the question, Coyote places a wriggling insect on Cassidy's tongue. The Irishman reluctantly swallows. Cassidy holds a tube that looks like a native instrument. Some kind of flute or recorder. It's made of bone. Something inside it is burning. Coyote sits facing him, moves his fingers to cover the right holes, nods. Cassidy puts his lip to the instrument and inhales. As smoke rises through it, it plays an unsettling chord, like an otherworldly bagpipe. His lungs full, he closes his eyes. Quick cuts, Tulip, backlit, peers into the box with Cassidy's head. Tulip drives the pickup, looking over at Cassidy with a smile. Back to, exterior, foothills, night. Cassidy smiles, nods. Coyote scoops up a handful of sandy dirt. As Cassidy exhales the smoke, Coyote sucks it in. It's not a kiss, but it's uncomfortably intimate. Coyote presses his forehead against Cassidy's. Coyote slowly releases the dirt from his fist, letting it fall in a thin stream. For a long moment, we hold. The night is still. Cut to, high above. The bonfire is just a small spark at the edge of frame. We tilt up to the thousands of stars in the night sky. When we look down again, we're high above a familiar farm with a broken down barn. A pickup truck pulls up to the farmhouse. Two men get out. We drop down, passing straight through the roof of the barn to find ourselves. Interior, barn, night. Tulip is tied securely to a post. We're repeating an earlier scene, but from Tulip's perspective. Cassidy and Coyote appear in front of her. They're both spectral. The light passes through them. Tulip! How did you... Coyote keeps his eyes closed. He's concentrating on maintaining this projection. Never mind. What the fuck happened? Who's got you? Why are you tied up? Jesse's family. I think he's here. He's hurt. Exterior foothills, night. The dirt slips through the coyote's hand like an hourglass. Interior barn, night. Where are you? Where are we right now? It's a farm, outside of Salvation. North, I think. Listen, there's an assassin after you, the Saint of Killers. Coyote's eyes flick open with, with surprise. I'll come for you, okay? I'll save you. Hurry. The door slams open. It's TC. He looks around, confused. Cassidy and Coyote are gone. Who the fuck are you talking to? Cut to exterior foothills, night. Cassidy opens his eyes. He's sitting across from Coyote, whose eyes narrow. You heard that part about the Saint of Killers, right? A low growl. Suddenly, Coyote pounces. True to his name, there's something lupine about him. He has massive teeth, spikes of yellowed bone. He lands a bite to Cassidy's shoulder. With all his strength, Cassidy just manages to throw him off. Coyote rolls onto his hands and feet. Cassidy tries to get up, but he's still unbelievably stoned. Coyote eyes the bonfire in the distance. Knows he needs to get help starts to howl. 
Cassidy focuses, trying to get his shit together. With a sudden burst, he lunges after the dogman, tackles him, pulling him to the ground. Coyote claws at him. His fingernails are like razors, slashing his face. Fuck! Coyote almost breaks free, but Cassidy manages to get a new grip. He pins him, an arm at his throat, finds a suitable rock and smashes it into Coyote's head, repeatedly. Cassidy rolls off, staring at the giant sky. The stars move in slow circles. His eyes close. Exterior, foothills, pre-dawn. This is the most appropriate music ever. Wow! <laughs> Cassidy's eyes open to find Arseface staring down at him in the blue half-light. Coyote's body is still where he left it. Given the blood, rock, and scratches, it's pretty clear what happened. You'll kill him. If it makes you feel better, he was going to eat you. He sticks out a hand. Arseface helps him up. You know what our salvation is? Yeah. Get me there quick. As Arseface and Cassidy head off, we stay behind with Coyote's body. Suddenly, it spasms. His broken head struggles to lift. His fingers scratch at the dirt. Only as we come around do we realize he's actually writing letters. S-A-L-V-A-T-I-O-N Fade out. So, I think it's continuing to be good, guys. It's the twilight we deserve at this point. <laughs> God damn it, Jeff. <laughs> <sighs> There's nothing twilighty about this. It's so good because the we're coyote, not giving Jeff lines. The coyote versus <laughs> vampire fight? Come on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm uh, super invested in this story. Like, I'm... I'm like hype reading 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 i'm trying not yeah to read. I'm, I'm trying not to read ahead like i'm just in there the whole time yeah i yeah. got i got nothing to make fun of i got no complaints this whole scene where they go to the the evil woodstock is such oh, a great sick. idea yeah it's actually kind of a um a, a, it's it's kind of a story that was in uh sandman there was a serial killer convention yeah. in Sandman. That's right. But this is done like through the lens of Preacher, which just makes it more bizarre mm. than even Neil Gaiman could make it. It's this is great. Do you think we were supposed to believe she was talking with the uh, DeBlanc in the basement? That's what I thought. That's in? what I thought. I thought yeah. it was DeBlanc. I didn't know if that were, there was a red hair in the situation. I don't know if that's what he was trying to make us think. Um but no, no I didn't think that actually because okay. she was like Telling whoever it is where she was. Ah, mm. uh, okay. And if DeBlanc was there, he was there. Sure, and he knows he knows everything. So yeah. okay. But uh, I thought maybe she managed to like activate her cell phone or something. Like maybe she had a secret like earpiece thing. But it was mysterious. It yeah. was, I think yeah. that was the point. Yeah, was that it was mysterious. And it turned out to be something as simple as a. Ghost, uh, vampire, and Cody man. So it, was, it actually is a <laughs> getting, lot simpler getting, than what I was getting, getting stoned at the death convention. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was. It was just a little astral projection by a serial killer convention. 
Your astral projection at the serial killer convention. <laughs> Tune in next week for our new podcast. That's the, that's the blue. That's a blue bracelet you have to have to get that far. All right. So everybody, please like and subscribe. You'll get our stuff every week. We post every Tuesday. Um, Joshua has a great website where you can check out all his voiceover stuff. Why don't you tell him about that, Josh? Uh, JoshuaJBaker.com if you want to have my melodious tones on your voiceover project. Uh, just go there. Uh, my email address is me at JoshuaJBaker.com. You can reach out to me for any sort of business deal or anything like that. Um, Excellent. Kelly's I'll, not here, but you can check out her Instagram at xkirakelly. Yeah, a very, very uh, awesome post yesterday for the Game of Thrones premiere. I, yes. Yes. Her yeah. and uh, Daenerys, yes. Yes. Her as yeah. Sansa. Sansa, yeah. She does season seven Sansa. Sansa. Well, I guess when this airs, it won't be so. No, no. Like, <laughs> Game of Thrones will be over by the time this airs. <laughs> Wasn't that part sick? <laughs> oh, my God. The part with the dragons and the thing? Oh. oh. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to end that way. You had anything to plug over there, Jeff? Uh, not really. I've got about as much internet presence as I did in this episode. So, all right. <laughs> so, uh, check out. I forgot the name of that old podcast you guys used to do. Casual filth. Casual filth. That's right. All five. You guys should just start plugging something useful. Like, all right, go, go check out your library. Just go check out your local library. Do something cool. Yeah. You know what you can find at your local library? Comic books. Preacher. DVDs. <gasps> Yeah, wrapped it back there, around. There are pretty much preacher trade paperbacks at libraries, I'm sure. Go go read those and watch the show on AMC. Season four is coming out in October. Oh, man. It'll be the final season. I'll actually have to subscribe to Hulu. So get that done. And uh, guys, we'll see you later. This podcast was created by Sean McBee. For more. Visit TableReadsPodcast.com Cut to Black. Black.